I don't know what's real. I don't know what's not real. Limited Capacity is a collection of six darkly amusing stories about the mysterious ways we interact with the internet and with each other. There's something going on with him. It's like an act. I don't trust him. What? You're staring at me like I should say something, but I don't really know what to do here. That's the whole name of the game. Don't talk about how the town isn't real. Do you understand? Limited Capacity. Available now on CBC Listen or wherever you get your podcasts. This is a CBC Podcast. Hi there, folks. Jeremy here of the Sick Boy Podcast. Just hanging out here, hunkered down in my quarantine isolation station uh, with a nice ice cold beer and a dog at my feet like an ottoman. Um, hunkered down and holding up, still alive, feeling feeling hopeful, feeling um, a bit weird, but for the most part, feeling like... Um, I've, I've said this time and time again, but I feel like we're going to come out of this uh, with with a net positive. Although there's going to be a lot of loss and although, although times are fucked up and and you know, scary and things are going to be tragic. I think when this is all said and done with, when the dust settles, the world is going to be a much more tolerable and, and beautiful space. And that's something I've been meditating on quite a bit over the last, um, couple of weeks. Um, this wasn't what I meant to say. (laughs) I didn't mean to start this episode like that. Uh, it's just something that just kind of came to my mind. Uh, what I actually was meaning to do right now is to say something that I know that we say time and time again at the end of every single episode, but in this moment right now, I feel like um, it it mean I we we mean it more than we ever have. Uh, we are clearly living in a really weird time. Uh, there's a lot of a lot of. Uh, loss, um, uh, loss of work, loss of income. Um, and, and, you know, a lot of us are stuck at home, uh, trying not to die from boredom. And one of the things that we have at our disposal to get us through these very hard times is, um, oh, we have the internet and we have all the things that the internet can provide us. Uh, and in particular we have art whether that be art through television or through music or through, um, through podcasts. And this art form, the art form of podcasting, is, uh, is what we are trying to provide the world to get us through these weird times. Um, and it feels weird. It, it, it feels weird to say this. Um, but if you've been listening to the podcast for any amount of time and it's brought you any amount of, of joy or escape or, uh, happiness, um, what, what is that worth to you? And the reason I say that is because we are, uh, we're in a, a pretty, um, unique time where we are, we don't have the ability to travel around. We don't have the ability to do live shows like we usually do. 
where you don't have the ability to speak at conferences. Um, and all of these things are a big part in the revenue that we rely on to keep the podcast running. And so what we do have that is currently running and, and still has been and has been from day one is our Patreon. And so I know times are tough and I know that we and when I say we, I mean me and the boys, uh, the podcast, we are not alone in the fact that there's a lot of loss right now in terms of, uh, in terms of making money. Um, but I am making this little message at the top of this week's episode to say that if you are in a position where you can give um, and you have been listening to the show and it has been helping you get through these, these days uh, where we are stuck in our homes, um, maybe consider heading on over to patreon.com slash sickboy. Um, not only to support us, but also to become a little bit more invested in our community that we are, are developing. Um, we've talked about it a bunch, but we have uh, a private Discord server that is only for our patrons. And uh, that community, since this all fucking blew up, um, and this I mean by the, the COVID-19, since this blew up, our, our Discord community has really been popping off. Um, we are constantly on there chatting with all of our Discord members, all of our patrons. Uh, we had a video call last week where there was upwards of like 30 of us just hanging out and shooting the shit for a couple of hours. Um, so if you want to be involved in that, uh, head on over to patreon.com slash Become a patron. There's benefits there. It's really fun to be a part of. Um, and, and if you're not in a position where that's possible, but you're just tuning in every week anyway, thank you. Thank you for that. Because even that is, is enough to help us keep this going. So I love you all. Thank you so much for tuning in. And this week, let's just get right to it. This week is one of those episodes where we are fortunate enough to have sat down with one of those guests who are just absolutely phenomenal, extraordinarily lovable. Um, Sarah is just the sweetest. Her story is amazing. We are so happy to have had a chance to sit down with her and, and talk to her about her cancer journey. And I hope that you uh, enjoyed this, even just a fraction of what of how much we enjoyed it, because uh, this is this is what made our trip to Vancouver so so worth it. Um, this is just one of of many of those conversations that made it worth it. So uh, stay well. Don't touch your eyes. Wash your fucking hands. Listen to your health authority, the health authority, wherever you live. And um we're gonna get through this y'all we're we're gonna get through it so uh and we're we're here every step of the way okay enjoy welcome to sick boy a podcast where we talk about what it's like to be sick this week's guest is sarah she had stage four breast cancer let's talk about it Well, this is uh, going to be fun. We are going to be talking about cancer. Um, I love talking about cancer because uh, because I feel like everyone's probably going to get it at some point if they live long enough. It seems like the this numbers are growing. 
But uh, Sarah, you just beat everyone to the punch. That's right. Yeah. Well, I not gotta, everyone. Right. Probably a good chunk of people anyway. <laughs> a good yeah. chunk of you beat me to it. <laughs> Yes. Yep. Like one in two people get cancer, I believe, in their lifetime. That is so, so nuts. It is pretty that crazy. Is so However, most people don't get it in their 20s. So that's kind of yeah. where I'm a bit of an outlier. I think, Young but. adult cancer world. Yes, that's yeah. right. Yeah. So, what, kind, what kind of cool cancer did you have? So I had breast cancer, or I, yeah, I had breast cancer, um, but it was actually stage four breast cancer from the very beginning. That sounds like bad. You skipped, <laughs> like you skipped all the stages? I just jumped right ahead to stage four, yeah. Can wow. we just do a quick recap on what the stages are? Like is stage four the worst? I think it's one, two, yes. three, four. Yeah. Yep, and four being like <laughs> spread. Hardcore. Yeah. Yes. However, what I've kind of learned through all of this journey is that and I, I want to be careful because I know I, I am not a medical professional by any means, but um, aren't speech pathologists <laughs> medical? That's true. We are healthcare professionals. However, okay. I work for school districts, so I'm more on the education Got side. It. But I, I, we'll, we'll get into alert. we'll get yeah. into that yeah, part. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. But um, yeah, so I, I don't know exactly what it is from stage one, two, and three. But um, basically what I was going to say is um, stage four does not necessarily mean that you're terminal and it's not always so black and white. And that's kind of where my case is like a little bit more unique. Do they tell you you're stage four? Like, are they like, hey, like you have stage four cancer right now? Yes. So basically, should I just dive into? Let's fucking do it. Yeah, let's dive right in. Yeah. All right. So um, basically, as soon as I moved to Vancouver in July 2017, I was having pain in my left breast. It was like a sharp pain. Um, And I knew that wasn't normal. And but I didn't have a family doctor when I first moved here. Um, But I went to a walk in clinic right away because I'm normally the type of person that's like, I'm right on it, you know, (laughs) like a Mm. bit of a hypochondriac and I'm on the ball. So is this short, sharp pain just like you're sitting there and you feel the pain or it's like if you feel a certain area? I was just sitting there and it would just be right. like, Bam. and if it's on your left breast, do you, do you go, that's my breast or do you go, maybe it's my heart or I, it felt like my breast because it was kind of in the left, like outer side by my armpit and it would shoot towards my breast kind of thing. Uh-huh. Did you feel like a, a lump or anything there? I or? didn't No. Okay. So, so, um, and I had, had breast exams before in the past, like anytime I would see my family doctor for like a pap test, she would be like, would you like a complimentary breast exam? A <laughs> <laughs> side of mammogram with that? <laughs> and I was like, sure. And like a lot of w- women, <clears throat> especially young women, you don't really know what you're feeling for when you're giving yourself an exam. Mm -hmm. Um, like I would try sometimes and just be like, yeah, I don't know. It feels like normal. I guess it's all, there's lots of kind of lumps and bumps in there. I don't really know what's like a good lump and what's a nipple. Sure. Yeah. Um, (laughs) I feel that when I, when I feel, when I feel around my nuts, (laughs) I, I I, I actually like, it's happened so often. We're like, like, they are two big lumps. Yeah. But then then (laughs) there's also, there's things attaching. Those little weird, small um, lumps in there. Like they're, and they're weird lumps. And I'm like, oh, is yeah. that a, is that like a weird lump that's okay to have, or like is that a weird lump that I should not have? <laughs> to me, they're more like uh, like tubes and stuff that are attaching different things. That's probably like, that's probably what it is, right? A- yeah. Anyway, <laughs> I, before we continue with your story, the moral, moral of that story is check your nuts and check your tits. All right, exactly, here we go, yeah. and on with the conversation. <laughs> so um, I saw a walk-in clinic doctor, and uh, she gave me a breast exam, and. Um, she was like, you have lumpy cystic breasts. And I was like, first of all, rude. <laughs> like, yeah, yeah. Like, uh, thank you, yeah. but no thank you. And second of all, what does that mean? And basically it just means like some women have dense breast tissue 
And it means that instead of it being like fatty tissue, it's more like fibrous because there's like milk ducts in there and like other things going on. And so maybe um, that's what's in my nuts is milk ducts. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. yeah. Oh, oh, dude, I wonder if you because because you're cystic fibrosis, you have mucus in there that that basically plugs things up. So you just have like sacks of like just mucus, like (laughs) mucus nuts. Like not. Oh, man, guys, this is weird. That's a wonderful hypothesis. We're going downhill here. Oh, God. Um, So, yeah, uh, basically she explained that. yeah, I had dense, lumpy breasts, and she was like, do you have a family history of breast cancer? And I said, no, I don't, because I do not have a family history of breast cancer. And um, she did linger a little longer on the left breast. Like, she seemed to have spent mm. more time there. But as far as I knew, there was no lump there that I could feel, and it seemed like there was no obvious one that she could feel. Um, also, was she possibly lingering there because you were like, hey, the pain that I'm yeah, feeling, I, I'm that's coming a good point. Like, actually. Right. It's coming from right. this spot. That yeah. is very so please check this spot. <laughs> yes, yes, yeah. No, but in like specifically in the air. So my right. tumor was in the six o'clock position. So like right there, kind of lower, right behind, below the nipple, I guess. And which is kind of an, I like to argue that that's a trickier spot to find a bump because like, when I did eventually feel a bump, I could or a lump, I could only feel it when I would stick my finger completely up inside my breast like that. Because some women will have a tumor like here, and it's like sticking off their chest, like yeah, higher up on right, their right. chest. Um, but mine was kind of concealed, I guess. Because it's in like the most, I guess, fatty part. Yeah, yes, yeah, 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 yeah. Blubbery, blubbery <laughs> part of the movie. <laughs> Scientific term, yes. That's uh, that's what the doctor would say. So I'm sure. Yeah, I think so. Oh, you got a blub- blubbery booby. Uh, okay. Yeah, <laughs> You were onto something there for Man, a second. We can't, for a second. Can we, let's let's try really. It's so hard, hard to, to talk about serious. boobs without like somehow referring to balls like, and like immediately as soon as yeah as as soon as Sarah started talking about breasts, we're like oh and then the nuts and then the blubbery boobies and like let's let's be serious for, for uh, a couple more minutes. Okay, okay. Um, so uh, yeah, so they basically said uh, she told me. You need to stop drinking coffee. <laughs> that was what oh, she told me. Because apparently coffee can be can increase your chances of getting um, breast cysts. Um, and, and a breast cyst isn't necessarily a, a cancerous no, thing. It's not just at a all. cyst it, in the in the Yeah, it's breast. just a little cyst. And apparently they're very common. And actually my mom did have a cyst when she was, like a breast cyst when she was pregnant with my sister, I think. So I was like, oh, yeah, sure. Makes sense. Breast cysts. Okay, that's probably what this is. Were you a big coffee drinker before that? Well, I wasn't my entire life. But the year before that, I had just graduated from grad school. So my coffee intake really uh, skyrocketed in the last year. So it made sense. It kind of all fit the story. Um, And so she said, you need to manage your stress levels and stop drinking coffee. And I'm like, okay, well, I just graduated from grad school, moved across the country. I'm a little stressed out and I'm drinking a lot of coffee. So I guess I'll tone those things down. Mm -hmm. Um, And then she said, you know, oh, you're due for a pap test in like four or five months anyway. So when you come back for that, uh, I'll do another breast exam. We'll follow up. I'm like, okay. And the pain coincidentally went away. I cut coffee out cold turkey. It was really hard. (laughs) And uh, yeah, the pain went away. And I was like, oh, problem solved. But spoiler alert, it was not solved. (laughs) Um, And so I went back, saw her the second time. I told her, yeah, the pain went away. She did the breast exam, didn't say anything, didn't feel anything. Or like she felt, but she didn't feel a lump or anything. Um, And then it was maybe four or five months after that that one day the way I found it is actually kind of funny so one day I guess I noticed that my breast felt 
fuller in a way. And I thought I was like, oh, like, You're hey. like nailing it today. <laughs> and I actually went over to Carlos, my boyfriend, and I was like, feel my poop. <laughs> feel it. Like, doesn't it feel so like feel that kind of thing? And then so he started feeling it and felt around. And he and that was when he put his finger up inside somehow. He felt like did that. Well, he I was don't really know. feeling it. He was like, look how blubbery this boob is. I'm going to put my finger in the blubbery boob. Uh, yeah, so... Um, it lasted about two minutes, I guess, the serious <laughs> bit, but... So then I put my finger up inside. <laughs> wow, this sounds really... His finger up inside, and then my finger up inside. Deep breath. Oh, we, can, we can get through this. Uh-huh. Hey, we get hired for uh, fucking, like, professional okay. medical, like, conferences. <laughs> oh, Jesus. <laughs> So, yes. Um, yeah. And then I and then I felt something. It was very small. It was probably like it only felt like maybe a couple of millimeters big. Like it was really tiny, but it felt like a hard lump. And I was like instantly like, oh, that is not like any lump I've felt before in my breast. Oh, no. Um, just for people listening who are not sure about like what a lump in your breast feels like. However, you should still be doing self-exam. And that's why it's important to do self-exams all the time because then you know when something is new and when it popped up and that mm. kind of thing. Did they tell you that that if you were doing, did they ever give you any um, like direction that if you were looking for something yourself, you are looking for something that is very hard as opposed to something that you can more, that's more well, malleable, I guess? that's the interesting thing because, so when I, when I found, felt that lump, I was like, oh my God. And I was instantly freaking out, but I've been trying to unlearn all of my hypochondriac, like anxiety tendencies. So I was like, okay, it's probably just a cyst. They told me I have cystic breasts. I already went, I've had two breast exams in the last like six months or so. Mm-hmm. It's like, you know, it can't be anything that crazy. Um, and then when I, – I don't remember the timeline exactly, but let's say like a month or so later, two months max maybe, um, I was putting on a sports bra one day and as I was adjusting the sports bra, I felt like a huge lump in my – and this was only like a month to two months after. Like it was a short period of time. After you found the tiny, tiny yes. – the tiny hard one. Yeah, the yeah. tiny hard one suddenly grew into like a really big one. Like – Whoa. Yeah. Like, like size-wise, like what would it be comparable to? In the end, like when they did find it and they were able to measure it and everything, they said it was um, three and a half by four centimeters and it kind of felt like a grape maybe okay yeah which is like up from like a pea yeah exactly went from a pea to a grape really fast (laughs) which is why uh i just quickly like looked up like how do you do a breast self breast exam and uh and the the one of the things that said at the very end was uh repeat this every month once a month yeah so like if you you know and you were saying it two months later Mm -hmm. it goes Mm -hmm. from pea to to grape grape. (laughs) like if you caught it as a raisin or if we caught it a year before when I yeah. had pain. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, because it likely was starting then. And right. yeah. Yeah. It's, yeah. it's really um, young women have a really hard time getting diagnosed because if you don't have a family history and they're not doing mammograms for you. So, so I, I dropped the word mammogram earlier when when the when we were you know, joking, joking about your doctor, just giving you like a, a, a free side yeah. of breast exam. Yeah. What, what is the difference between a mammogram and a breast exam? Well, it's a big difference. So yeah. although I know that there's a yeah. machine that goes yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> and just like squishes the thing out, but like, much, is, yeah. are they, are they one in the same in terms of like, you know, one's just like a mechanical breast exam or um, did you say, you said squish the thing out. You just roll out the t- thing. The thing being the booby. I thought you meant, I thought you meant like, yeah, it just takes the tumor, 
And it just squirts <laughs> it out through. It squeezes the boob and and squeezes it out through the nipple. Oh God! <laughs> oh God! So yeah, like a, a manual exam is just manual. You use your hands, and they have their. There are a few different techniques. You can go in like circular motions or side to side, and there's all these different ways of doing it. Um, and then yeah, mammogram is u- using I think it's an X-ray, um, and they squish your breast down very tightly, which hurts a lot, yeah. anyways. But when you have a tumor oh. the size of a grape inside of your breast, it hurts a lot. Aye, aye, aye. And um, and they try to get it as close as possible to your rib cage as well, and so it feels like when you breathe in that you're boobs just gonna like rip off your chest oh, no. yeah yeah so, so it is it is an x-ray image yeah, of your yeah. breast used to screen breast cancer mm-hmm. however i guess the reason they don't necessarily do very many mammograms in younger women um is because younger women tend to have more dense breast tissue and if you have dense breast tissue it's harder to it's not it's Hard harder to, to have a reliable a reliable mammogram because oh. when they look at the results of the mammogram, it's kind of I guess I don't know actually, but it's harder to see if they're. Whereas if it was a, like a fattier breast or like an older woman, then it would be a lot more obvious and clear. Mm-hmm. Right. Um, so I guess that might be one reason that they don't necessarily do them that much. Just How so effective when when you um, when you felt. Uh, when you were putting your sports bra on, you felt like the difference mm-hmm. in the size. Um, what went through your head in that moment? I totally freaked out, and um, I basically like canceled everything I was going to do that day, and I went straight to the walk-in clinic again. <laughs> and um, so, this is going back to what you were asking about uh, what to feel for, whether it be hard mm-hmm. or. Um, and everything I read on Google was saying that. Tumors grow slowly. Cysts grow very rapidly, and I was like, "Well, this is growing real fast." So, like, it's definitely a cyst. They told cyst. me one hundred percent cyst. Google told me exactly, and they said that um, tumor tumors are feel more hard, and cysts might be more like movable. However, like my tumor was growing in the milk duct. So it's like suspended in the middle of your breast. So you can kind of move it a little. You know what I mean? The milk duct's moving. Yeah, exactly. So it was very confusing. And as much of a hypochondriac and anxious person that I am, not even I was jumping to the worst conclusion right away. I was kind of like, oh, my God. I even told my friend, I was like, worst case scenario, I'm going to have to get it drained. (laughs) I was like, I'm going to have to get. I have a severe phobia of needles like you do, especially like IV needles and that kind of thing. And um, I was like, oh, my God, worst case scenario, they're going to have to drain it and like stick a needle in my breast. She was like, Sarah, worst case scenario, it's cancer. And I was like, why would you even say that? Like, <laughs> well, you're like, it, well, the worst case scenario. But it just didn't feel like it was at all in the realm of possibility because it was like I was I'm a young, healthy person. I have no family history. Like, why would that be the case? Anyhow, so I go to the walk-in clinic. They refer me for an ultrasound, but I would have had to wait like maybe two weeks to get the ultrasound. And so I was freaking out. And uh, Carlos was also kind of – he was more concerned than he let on because he was like, that feels really hard to me and like this doesn't feel normal and right. So um, he was like, let's go to the emergency room. Because I Ugh. was freaking out. Yeah. <laughs> so we go to the emergency room and they're like, hmm, yes, it is a prominent mass or lump or something. like. I don't know what they said. Um, e- but- I mean, either of those things yeah, sounds yeah. Uh, but they- <laughs> daunting and yeah. not fun. But even they were like, it's probably nothing, but let's just like be sure. So we're going to refer you to um, 
Mount St. Joseph's, which has a rapid access breast clinic. So they're all about diagnosing real, as fast as possible. Um, and thank God that I did go there because I was able to get there sooner than I would have if I just waited for the ultrasound through like the walk-in clinic. Um, so when I go to the, so I go for an ultrasound appointment and I go by myself because I'm like, oh, it's just an ultrasound. And like Carlos has to go to work and I don't have any family here. Like everyone is back home in Newfoundland. And so I go to the appointment um, and I'm kind of freaking out anyway, because as I was saying, I'm a very anxious person. So the whole time I kept saying, like, can I please see a doctor? Can I please see a doctor? Um, and then after the ultrasound, they were like, we actually want to do a mammogram. So just go back out in the waiting room. And I was like, oh, God. But, you know, still like, oh, they're just being diligent. Then I do the mammogram, go back out. And then they're like, we actually want to do the mammogram again, but with like a more magnified lens or glass or something like that. And I was like, oh, that's really not good. But anyhow, so. Do you think this was happening because they were going, ooh, it's looking like breast cancer. Yes. Let's make sure. Ooh, that that first mammogram is like, well, that's showing think. some cancer probably for sure. Let's get like, let's get real close into it. Exactly. Oh, yeah. no. And the whole time I'm like, please, I need to see a doctor. So then finally they're like, okay, a doctor will come to see you. So I thought it was because I kept asking for one were and you, not were be- you, like, how were you asking for the doctor? Were you like, <laughs> were you freaking out? Were you like, I don't know, to be honest. I think I was just saying like, oh, could okay. I please, please see a doctor? Is there any way, any doctor here at all that I could see kind of thing? And I think yeah. during the ultrasound, I was like tearing up because like any like, yeah. medical right. yeah, thing yeah. I really don't enjoy. <laughs> and it's, and it, it's scary. Yeah, exactly. So, um, then when the doctor comes in, um, I thought it was because I asked to see a doctor and he seemed like a little bit like nervous and I, but he was also younger. So I kind of assumed like, oh, he's just a bit nervous because he's young. <laughs> <laughs> I'm like, let me, there, there, let yeah. me, it's okay. Um, and he based in it. So he told me right from the jump, he was just like, um, so unfortunately a lot of like the characteristics that we're seeing in the mammogram and the ultrasound are very like indicative of breast cancer and it felt like it just hit me like a truck like I was not expecting and I was alone and I just was like "Ah!" (laughs) um and yeah that was super super traumatizing and terrifying and I I just kept you know I was saying like, okay, well, how certain are you that it's breast cancer? Like, is this a tumor or is it a mat? Like, what is it? And he was like, well, we don't know. We need to do a biopsy. And I was like, okay, but are you like 90% sure? And he was like, yeah, about 90%. <laughs> and I was like, is that just well, the number I'm throwing out there? I'm and surprised he was willing to even say. Uh, yeah. So I guess it was a bad mammogram. <laughs> yeah. Um, so they were like, okay, we'll do the biopsy the very next morning. Um, and this is this is still at the ER, or this is no, this is at uh, Mount St. Joseph's. It's right, a, okay. they have like a, a breast clinic. There. Oh, sure, yeah, sure, and sure, they're sure. amazing. They got you. They are so fast, and I had amazing care Oops. there. So can't say enough good things. But um, how did you feel like coming back to this doc who yeah. was a little nervous, <laughs> and and he he drops this bomb on you? Mm-hmm. Um, what was the what would you say like if you were gonna like. You know, you're walking out of the hospital that day and they're like, oh, uh, like, could we have your feedback just on this little board here? Press like the the smiley face on the right or the, you know, the sad face on the left or anything in between to give your opinion on how this went. Like, how do you how do you feel that interaction was with that younger doctor Mm -hmm. who at first seemed a little nervous? Like, do you do you feel like he communicated that in a way that that really worked for you or Mm, I think that. I, it's hard to say. Um, I think looking back on it, it may have, 
because I was alone, I think that was really hard. I think maybe it it may have been better if he said, like, we are really concerned, but let's do a biopsy and find out. Because then that way I could understand how serious it was, but then I could have someone there with me to, to get find, the To, action. like, hear the word Yeah, cancer. exactly. Yeah. So I actually treat that day as my diagnosis day. Because even though it wasn't yeah. confirmed, it was like, you are you have cancer, basically. Yeah. You know, it was so certain. So that's mm-hmm. kind of what I treat. And that was July 2018. When um, we, we've spoken to quite a few people with cancer in the past, and, and uh, one thing that has stuck out with me that seems to be common between a lot of their experiences with being diagnosed is that uh, when they get the news, it it's almost like this, like their whole reality is just turned upside down. So it's like it's hard to kind of understand and digest the other things that the doctor is saying that day and in that moment because mm-hmm. you're just overwhelmed by the fact that you've been told that you either probably have cancer or do have cancer. Um, What was it like for you trying to like understand what the next steps were going to be after that? And also thinking about how you might communicate that to, you know, Carlos or your family. Mm -hmm. Yeah, it was, it was, I mean, it's hard to say because I feel like no matter what it's, it's so like discombobulating and you, don't really know where to go and you're no matter what you're going to be kind of freaking out but um did you did you um did you I guess how did you tell Carlos yeah what did so you say to him? I actually did a really bad job telling everybody in my <laughs> life because it just so caught me off guard and I kind of wish that I had taken the time to tell people properly um but Facebook so, post? No, no, no. <laughs> no. So basically while <laughs> while I was with the doctor telling me that I probably had breast cancer, I had my phone. I, I instantly just picked up my phone and I was trying to text and I was just like blah, blah, blah. like I couldn't even like put my fingers on the phone. Yeah. Um and I was because Carlos was texting me saying, you know, like, how's it going? What's happening? You know, I was kind of alive updating him, I guess. Mm-hmm. And then I, I think I just tried to say like it's cancer or something like that. And he was like, What? And so he just instantly came to the hospital to pick me up and um, I explained to him everything in person. But the other kind of crappy thing was that everyone, like my mom, everyone knew that I was going in for this ultrasound and this mammogram. So everyone's like, how's it going? Like, why are you there so long? You know? And so, and my mom called me like while I was waiting for Carlos to pick me up and uh, I I debated like answering it and I kind of wish that I hadn't answered it because I, I, it was so, I basically was like, he thinks that it's cancer. And like, that is maybe not the best way to just like suddenly, suddenly say it like that. I don't know. Yeah. It's hard. Yeah. I understand that. Like looking back at it, you're probably like, oh fuck, I wish I would have done it in a way that worked better. But like, I can only, I can only imagine how hard it would be (laughs) to understand what would be the best way to do it. Like, is there a good way to do it? Yeah. And I was just in full panic mode for like, those days <laughs> and I I think my mom was the one who told my sister and my dad and I think I was texting Charlie as well and I yeah it's all kind of a blur to be honest it was just like a panic blur Ooh, yeah um I feel like there's a way I feel like it's very I feel like it's very important the way that a doctor delivers that information to the person that has cancer but when that less person important. <laughs> less important for the person who who gets the diagnosis like because of that same reason it's like I mean I I sat here while you were describing that, imagining like, hey, I wonder what I I wonder how I would feel, and I've had you know I've had experiences where 
um, you know, you get a piece of news and then all of a sudden like the day and like your schedule and like obligations and everything, they just melt away. Mm -hmm. And it's like, and all of a sudden only a singular thing becomes important and, mm-hmm. or, or, or some, or one thing consumes all of your, uh, all of your, your brain power. Mm-hmm. It's ca- and I imagine that that's that, that, I mean, I mean, it has to be that way, you know, just all of a sudden, you know, you've got the plans and you've got the, the goals and you've got friends and meetings and work and mm-hmm. what activities and all of a sudden, all of a sudden it's like none of that shit matters. No. Mm-hmm. And how do, and then, you know, the, how they, how do you speak to people after that? The, the thing that's, um, kind of important that I think we're realizing in this moment is like what's really important is um, when somebody you love tells you that they're going through something, it's more the onus is almost on you to um, accept the way that they deliver that news to you in whatever way it of came course, yeah. and be okay with that yeah. because you have to understand that there's there's no easy way to do it. <laughs> but um, one of the things I like thinking about delivering bad news and uh, I think Taylor, maybe you're thinking about the the same thing when you're talking about like clearing your schedule for the day. Um, it's when you find out like a loved one has died. Mm. Um, and I was thinking about how uh, getting a call from Brandon's mom at like five thirty in the morning. Yeah. Um, and she basically said to me, she was like, "Brandon's not with us anymore. Um, I can't call everybody. Can you call? Can you call like this?" node or network of friends that you know and so like almost passing that job on to somebody else because like it's so hard and overwhelming to do on your own right Mm -hmm. or you could turn into a crazy person momentarily because when you told me that brandon died i said Okay, I I I have to go teach. I have to go teach a yoga class, so I can't deal can't with that deal right with now. That. And then I hung up the phone, and then I broke down, yeah. and then had the realization that I can't go teach yeah. this class right now, like I thought I was going to. But yeah, yeah. you know, things melt away, mm-hmm. and 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 chaos, mind yes, chaos, very chaotic, and and I was thinking a lot about how a lot of cancer survivors talk about how. Um, life after cancer is harder than life during treatment. And it definitely is very, very hard. And I think it's, it's something that a lot of people don't understand how hard it is. People can understand how hard it is to go get a diagnosis and go through treatment, but they can't understand how difficult it is for you after the fact. Mm -hmm. And, but it doesn't also, I don't want to downplay how difficult it was in the beginning, getting the diagnosis either, because they're just two different types. Like, when I was diagnosed, it was very, it was just like panic and like terror. Mm. And whereas now it's like that fear is always there, but you just have to learn how to kind of live with it long term. Mm-hmm. Yeah. <laughs> so it's, it's still, it doesn't go away, but it, it's kind of lessened a little bit. And there's just, it's, it's very complex, like returning back to the world long term. So that's, it's, it's, they're, they're different. They're both very mm-hmm. difficult, but very different. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, like it's, it's like, um, it makes me think of like, of like running a marathon, you know, like to sit here and think, uh, you know, I've never run a marathon, but I'm going to sit here and think about running a marathon. That's that, that seems really hard <laughs> and I'm sure it is really hard, but I'm also pretty damn sure that like the days after running a marathon are also pretty fucking hard. You know, you don't feel, you're not going to feel great 
while you're in the while you're in the process of doing the thing, it's mm-hmm. like you've got adrenaline running through you, mm-hmm. and you, you know a runner's high kicks in, and and you you just gotta you gotta get to the end, you gotta get to the end, and then you get to the end, and it's like wow, I did it, I got I got through it, mm-hmm. and now my body is. Fucked. Yeah, you should exactly. know. Now yeah. I'm just like I'm just a mess. Yeah. You should see photos of photos of Brian after he ran a marathon. <laughs> it's a sad state. Oh yeah, yeah. Just just well, like yeah, that, looking rough. I mean, that's also the you result know? of not training. Doing <laughs> yeah, doing it. but that's you know it reminds me of something like that. And 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 it's it's true. Like I've I've heard that I've heard that quite a bit, especially especially with with the the community of young adults who've gone through cancer. Mm-hmm. Um, and mm-hmm. and it's it's kind of like that thing where, you know, when you speak to a pregnant woman, like how how was how was it? And they go, oh, there's yeah. a bunch of shit they don't tell you. You know, and like yeah. the 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 young cancer survivor community, that that sentiment of going like, man, I wish there were a lot of things that that I knew before mm-hmm. going into this. Um, what uh, was your uh, what was your treatment like? So you 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 got you had to do a biopsy. Yeah, so they did the biopsy. Um, at this point, I don't know the stage. So they do the biopsy um, the very next day, and. Um, I go in a few days later, get the results. They're like, yeah, it's cancer. And I'm like, okay, now what? Because I basically already knew, like I felt like I had time to digest the shock of it and I knew it was going to be cancer. Um, And then, so the other complication was I had a, this was two weeks before my 27th birthday. So I was 26 at the time. And I had a trip booked for Hawaii (laughs) to go for my birthday. And I was like, can I go to Hawaii? Like, what's going on? Um, And I just, I was just freaking out trying to figure out, like, what the next steps were, basically. Wait, could you go to Hawaii? Because... I actually did go to Hawaii. Good. (laughs) Yeah, so um, (laughs) they rushed me to be able to see a oncologist. And... She's got to go to Hawaii. Yeah, (laughs) we got to get this girl to Hawaii. Um, So... Yeah. And at this point, my surgeon, I had met with a surgeon and an oncologist, and they both said, you're probably very early stage two, judging by the size of your tumor. And we don't feel any lumps in your uh, in your lymph nodes in your armpit. And that's usually that's like the next place that it would go. Mm -hmm. So they're like, you're probably very early stage two. And I was like, oh, my God, like, why couldn't I have been stage one? Like, oh, I can't do this. I can't do this. And I always say, too, that on paper, I was literally the worst person that could have ever been diagnosed with cancer. Like, Charlie, you can vouch for that. <laughs> like, I <laughs> I have a huge phobia of needles, like literally avoided getting certain vaccinations in high school and then I had to get them all at once. Like, <laughs> anyways. <laughs> um, so, yeah. And I have like anxiety and I'm a bit of a control freak in some ways. And yeah, so I just could not fathom how this would ever workout um i also imagine the um the fact that you're like what 26 27 years old and just graduated from grad school Mm -hmm. and have moved to an expensive city like vancouver (laughs) to live and work and all of a sudden you're like oh fuck what does like treatment mean for being able to afford to live yeah post being in grad school and also just starting a new a, a new job i imagine yep yeah, so I was in university for like eight years, had a lot of student debt, just worked for one year, and I was hustling too, like outside mm. of working for a school district. I was working privately um, as a speech pathologist, and I was like, got to pay off this student debt. I'm ready to, you know, put the nose to the grindstone and do this. Um, and yeah, so that kind of stopped me in my tracks, mm. and it felt so 
unfair in a way because it was like I'm just like I, I felt like I had done everything right. Like I I've always been on top of my health and anyhow. Um, but what were we talking about? Treatment. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So basically what happened was my oncologist was like, OK, well, if you go to Hawaii, it's only going to delay your treatment by one week. And honestly, like, I don't think that's going to make a difference if we wait a month. Yes, that would be bad. But like. You know, why don't you go to Hawaii, enjoy yourself? Because they're thinking stage two at this point. Yeah. Right. And so, um, yeah, so they're like, go to Hawaii, live your life, come back, and then it, the real shit. Which starts. island did you go to, though? <laughs> what? Which oh, island? Maui. Okay. Hell yeah. And it was my first time ever going to Hawaii. Did so. you go to Paia? Yes. Yeah, yes. so sweet. I know, I loved it so yeah. much. Um it was still amazing despite being told that I just had cancer. I was like, yeah. it was exactly what I needed because I spent those that first week just like freaking out here in Vancouver. And then I just needed to be like plucked away. Yeah. And I mean, what, like what a beautiful place to, to go to like yeah. mentally heal exactly. you know, after such a and that was, traumatic experience. That was the biggest thing because the whole time I was like, well, what am I not going to just enjoy this beach and this beautiful, all this weather and like being here with Carlos because of cancer like I don't know it, it, it really kind of set the tone for like the mental health and mm. I guess like mindfulness journey that I went on after the fact um and so anyhow I go to Hawaii and then when I get back it's like go time basically within one week I had a pet scan which is the thing that they found the stage for I did a pet scan I did um uh, I had a port put in, so like a port under my chest. Oh, whoa. Uh, so that was like a surgery that I had to go through. You still have it in? I can see. I do, yeah. Yes. Yeah, I can very, see it. I can also, see it under it's your very shirt. large and in charge because they gave me a dual oh, yeah, port. So it's instead of just yes. one, it's literally twice the size. Whoa. Sweet. So I will show you. Oh, yeah, dude. <laughs> if I go to Look the side, that. you can see it. Like, oh, yeah. It looks like a bone like sticking yeah. off my chest. It is um, nuts. And especially because my skin is so pale and it's purple. I'm like, why would you choose the color purple? <laughs> oh, that's not just like, that's not just scar. And no, like, and like, bruise. no, it's a purple. That's the, na- that's the color of the port. I mean, port. there's a scar underneath. What a fucking dumb color. I know, it's so stupid. <laughs> why? What's and up with that? And not only that, but every nurse, every doctor is like, oh, why do you have a dual port? And I'm like, I don't know. <laughs> and they also told me that I had one nurse say, you know what? A lot of people that got ports at like in August of 20." 18, I guess it was. Um, that was just the hip thing to do. No, no, they were like, I think they were trying to use them up. Like, use them up off the shelf. And I'm like, dear Whoa. God. Like, and it's so frustrating, too, because, like, the port needs to be flushed. It's so, <laughs> so, it's crazy. For okay, it's so I, fucked, I, but I'm also like, yeah, I guess it makes sense. It's I mean, crazy I, for somebody to say that, though, too. I like, know. I was kind of like, like oh, okay. must have just been trying to use them up. Wouldn't it be crazy <laughs> if, I mean, I guess if you follow that, if you, like, pull the thread, it's like, would that be? Oh, don't use the word "pull the thread." Oh, sorry, We're talking sorry. about a fucking port, dude. Would that that be, makes me. Oh, would God. that be because they're like? If we don't use up all the ports, then we're gonna have a, a smaller budget next year for yeah, maybe. supplies maybe. and yeah. shit. I'm just well, saying. I took the bullet. For look into it. Ports. I'm just saying. Look like, into it. But also, also, if you look at that, but like the port that you have in the double port mm-hmm. versus like a regular port, like it's not. Aside from visually, what's going on, mm-hmm. like. I'm sure any any doctor that like inserts those things goes. Well, it doesn't fucking matter. Yeah. I mean, I mean, like it matters maybe functionally. Like we need the double port for, but like if you get a double port by accident, it, it's it's the only thing is going to be different is it's going to look a little bigger, yeah. and yeah. we don't care about that. And you'll so. get the same supply budget next year. What, yeah, yeah, exactly, <laughs> what, yeah. What's the uh, but like a double port? It just has like two. 
entry yeah, entries yeah. into the line or whatever? Yeah. Except for like antibiotics in one and then like, no, like, like poison think, in the other? <laughs> <laughs> I think, um, no, it doesn't matter what one is used. It's, I, I truly don't know the main purpose of it, but um, the frustrating thing is that it needs to be flushed every like four to six weeks. Um, and so because I have two of them, each one needs to be flushed. So the word flushed. I know it's disgusting. Try to story of my life. <laughs> the double lumen port all, also allows concur, uh, concurrent infusion of medication. So chemotherapy, blood products, or uh, parent, parenterial, parenteral, parenteral nutrition. Um, yeah, so it's 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 like beneficial for drawing labs without interruption of infusion, but also doing like concurrent treatments. At yeah, one time. so I get my blood taken out of it, and I also got chemo through it and targeted therapy. But anyhow, there's so much to say. I'm like, I need to be <laughs> concise. Um, so yeah, I have to get each one flushed, and it's a whole pain, especially when you have a phobia of needles and you because they do prick the skin every time. It's still better than getting an IV through my arm. So much better. Yeah, so much yeah. better. Yeah. Oh, right, because you had like a pick line. I've or had a pick right? line. Yeah, which yeah. is like uh, you know I'd get that any day of the week over getting mm. continuous needles in the in the vein because the that's just like yeah. I mean, <laughs> getting the pick line in and getting the pick line out oh, is a yeah. fucking nightmare. But yeah. once it's in, it's like okay, it's there. Yeah. I assume I assume that uh, maybe I'm getting like way far ahead of us on on this, but like. Why do they ever take your port out and do you still have to get it flushed every four to six weeks? I'm still getting it flushed because I'm, I guess I'll get into it about the treatment, but uh, I'm doing something called targeted therapy. So it's not chemo, but I go to the chemo unit to get it and it's an hour long infusion and I need it every three weeks. Okay. So, wow. yeah. So I'm like keeping track inside, outside, inside, outside. And they keep track of it as well, but, and I get my blood taken from there, but you just have to be on top of it because otherwise it could get like clogged or something. Oh God. So so that week that you yeah. got back from Hawaii, they uh, did the PET scan, they put the port in. Yeah. What else happened? And then I started chemo like okay. two days after getting the port. And they were like, yeah, like the port is ready to use right away. And I was like, okay. But what they don't tell you is that it's extremely swollen and painful and terrible. Yeah. <laughs> and because to access that they have to like, they're like, okay, let me feel around. And the entire thing was like swollen. And she was like, like prodding at it. I was like, ah, and I was just totally freaking out. I know we've talked about it on the show, you know, several times, but for anyone who doesn't know, like a port is a, it's, it's a central line that goes like in your chest. Um, uh, and it's, it's, it's basically a tube that, that is like permanently, not permanently, like semi permanently installed into your chest <laughs> that goes from, you know, into a, a, basically right into your heart. This tube yeah. goes into your heart so they can like, they can put the medication straight to your heart and it can pump through your bloodstream like very quickly. Uh, but the also and a big reason for the use of it in chemo is that you're not burning out your, your, veins. your veins and your blood vessels because it's chemo is just, it's, it's fucking poison, right? Yeah, so exactly. It's, it's a, it's a way to, it's a, it's like a channel that isn't your body mm-hmm. and it's getting it into your body. Um, so it's a it's a fucking basically like a surgical procedure. Yeah, to it's get like an that artificial thing vein, I guess. Yeah, yeah. So like, there's a whole procedure to put the, to install this into your body, yep. and then and then that's got to heal. Mm-hmm. But while that's healing, they're like, well, it's let's it's in there. We got to let's put some fucking poison in there and and poke it and yeah. pot it. So that was terrible. Yeah, <laughs> and I think when they 
when they they had to draw the curtains because they were like, whoa, this girl's like freaking out. And they had to get like multiple nurses to come in because I was like, ah, hold like her just, down. Yeah, pretty much. <laughs> and uh, and the chemo I was getting was called the Red Devil. So oh yeah, oh. we've heard about this. Yes. Right? It's like really burny. Yeah, yeah. yeah. And, it's, right? and it's really red too, right? It is literally yeah. a red thing that they have to like manually push in with a syringe into your port or into your arm. Whoa. And. I think I ha- I must throughout all of this I requested a nutritionist and the nutritionist arrived like while I was getting my chemo for the first time and she was like oh hi like you requested a nutrition and anyways she's like is this a bad time because w- everyone was freaking out and I was like no please stay it's a good distraction and yeah so that was kind of give funny. me an apple <laughs> um, did you how did I guess how did you know that you could request a nutritionist? Because I'm thinking like if I was in that situation, that's something that I would actually love to have, mm-hmm. but I would never actually think to ask that. I don't remember how it came up. I think they, they give you they make you fill out lots of paperwork about like your mental health and like your concerns and I through the process I must have requested. I don't know. Okay. Um but so, so when did this go when did it go when did you go from stage two to stage four and Right. So <laughs> I want to come back to this yeah. nutritionist thing because I feel like there's a reason you brought up the fact that you requested a nutritionist while while you have a port like but anyway yeah okay. go go ahead Taylor sorry but um yeah so so I still didn't have the results of the pet because I was doing chemo and anyhow started chemo cut my hair short to like a pixie that weekend and then I had the after every round of chemo you have a follow up appointment with your oncologist. And so when I went to see my oncologist, I I knew that they would have the results of the pet, but I was being, I guess, optimistic. Maybe I'm not as much of a pessimist as I thought I was, but um, I, so when I arrive, I'm thinking like, oh yeah, chemo is okay. Like I'm, I'm handling it okay. And that's it. But she, she was like, okay, so I got the results of your PET scan. She's like, it's not in your brain. It's not in your heart. It's not in your lungs. She's like, but unfortunately we did find uh, two small spots on your sternum, like your breastbone. And she said, which makes mm. you a cancer patient, which means you'll be a cancer patient for the rest of your life. And you are stage four. And basically wow. my mind just like exploded because at this point I was like, I had a few weeks at this point to be like, you know what? Like I, I, I'll make it through this. Like I I've got this. I started to come to terms with the initial shock of hearing that it was cancer. But then when I heard it was stage four, it like took me to like a whole other level. I think if if I heard somebody say that and kind of in those words too, like my thoughts would be like, holy shit, am I, am I dying? Like, is this going to kill me right now? Like, Did that go through your head? Yeah. I didn't even cry because I was literally in shock. Like I, yeah, I bet I, yeah, it was, it was crazy. Um, and yeah, I felt like I was dying for sure. I just kept thinking like, oh, my life is ruined. That's what I kept like saying to myself um, because whether or not I was going to live or die, I thought like, what a terrible life. You know what I mean? Like yeah. I'm a cancer patient and yeah, oh like, my literally God. Literally someone just said, you'll have cancer <laughs> for, for the rest of your life. Am I, am I wrong in that that's a new piece of information in all the conversations we've had about cancer that if you're stage four, you're a cancer patient for the rest of your life? Is that the I, Is that the relationship? Is it like stage four? Lifetime, lifetime. I think. Diagnosis. I think it means. I think it basically means like. St- sure, you like. We might get rid of this this cancer right now. That like the what we're seeing, but you're just gonna continuously have to come in yeah. and get checks. Mm-hmm. Like every and once you, what is it like the once you pass the five year mark of clean, you're still gonna be coming in. Yeah. <laughs> but like that's really good that you got that far. Mm-hmm. But you're still gonna be coming in to to check you because it's it's metastasized beyond a certain extent. Yeah, and now. That's that's your body. Like you're, you know, the the chances the chances are 
so much greater that you're going to have because it's like a recurrence. And, of, and is that because it's like it's gotten into the lymph system and now those cells are like, we don't know where the fuck those cells have gone. So I'm pretty sure that it means that it got into the blood system. And one crazy thing that you guys might appreciate is um, it sounds so ridiculous saying it now. It's like, how did you not know that like you had cancer? But looking back, because in the time period, I don't remember exactly when, but I do recall noticing almost like a new bluish vein going down my chest like towards my breast whoa and i think that was the tumor like i think it's called angiogenesis and it's when the tumor's like like, i need a blood supply no it's like the tumor's like i need more like nutrients or whatever so it requests a vampire cut the blood blood supply (laughs) so then a vein will grow towards the tumor to like feed it i'm pretty i could be so wrong but i'm pretty sure that's right i'm pretty sure sure vampires can do that yeah so i was like huh but once again, just didn't think that, you know, if I had a family history, I probably would have been more on the ball. But yeah. I think also a big moral of this story is to not just necessarily be OK with whatever a doctor says to you that, you know, like, because yeah. in my point of view, I was thinking, OK, well, like, I don't know what I'm feeling for. And if the doctor said I'm fine, then I'm fine. Yeah. And like that was just one doctor. But like, so you really have to advocate for yourself and like yeah. trust your gut and like, yeah. Anyhow, that was when, a question that I had that, that I was thinking about like way earlier and you ca- you just kind of touched on it mm-hmm. is. Do you do you harbor any like feelings of resentment in the way that, you know, you went to see a doctor and <clears throat> the cancer was probably there at that time? And because that's I, I think I'm not I don't have a fear of cancer, but I have the, I have a fear of I have a fear of having it and not and it not being picked up. Mm-hmm. I think that's kind of the that's. That's scary because and it's like really precise, almost precisely your situation. Like it gets to it gets to where it got to probably because it didn't get picked up as soon as it could have. And mm-hmm. yeah, what, what, are your, what are your feelings around that in terms of the experience in the medical system not being picked up? Yeah, I definitely had a lot of like anger and yeah, mostly anger towards the doctor for the longest time. And I had thought about like going in and just like barging in there and being like, ah, you missed my cancer diagnosis. Like, how could you, you know, and there, there were times that I literally did like pursue looking into whether or not I had a case against them in terms of like suing her yeah. or something like that. But it doesn't look like that is the case. And unfortunately this is something that happens a lot to yeah. a lot of women. Mm-hmm. Um, which is why, yeah, it's, it's, you really have to kind of be your own advocate, unfortunately, but because um, doctors are people and yeah, doctors exactly. aren't, you know, like until we get to a point where like yeah, AI is like, is, is dialed into a point where it's just better than a human. Mm-hmm. The humans are just going to, we're, we're going to make mistakes. Yeah. They're going to make mistakes. And like, that's the reality of it. And so if, if, if it's one, if it's left to that one person to make the mistake and mm-hmm. no one no one follows up, mm-hmm. then yeah, like things things a, are gonna slip through the cracks. So yeah. you've you've got to be that other person, 100%. right? You need you need to be like you need to add in more 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 input so that there's less chance of, of that shit happening. Yeah, exactly. Sick Boy Podcast will be right back after this very short break. Porn, Satan, drugs, therapy. It's not just the list of what I'm up to this weekend. 
I'm comedian Kiki Anderson, and those are just a handful of the taboo topics I've poked and prodded at so far on my podcast, Indecent, the show where we peel at the wallpaper of polite society. Each episode digs into the dark underbelly of our culture to dissect the things we aren't allowed to talk about around the dinner table. Featuring conversations with comedians, activists, journalists, academics, they all help me figure out the who, what, and why behind what is and isn't acceptable behavior. Indecent with Kiki Anderson, where NSFW meets LMAO. Mwah. I wanted to quickly ask about, because yeah. you talked about um, cutting your hair short mm-hmm. um, before like even when you just, I guess, began your chemo treatment. Mm -hmm. Um, I know for my mom, she had bladder cancer and her fear of losing her hair Mm -hmm. was so immense and it it caused her a lot of anxiety before she even went into treatment. Mm -hmm. Um, Did you have any thoughts or feelings around that? Yeah, I I used to have really long hair um, and I, I had always had long hair. I never had short hair before and so much of, your identity can be tied into your hair, whether you yeah, kind of like it or not in some way, if not for everyone, but um, yeah, it's kind really, of a security yeah. blanket. And it's just like, that's how you recognize yourself your whole life. And yeah, I definitely had a lot of anxiety of like, oh my God, I'm going to look like a sick person and I'm going to be bald and I'm going to be sick. And yeah, so it was a huge, huge thing. Um, yeah. Did you, did, you, uh, did you get a wig? I never actually bought a wig myself. I had people give wigs to me. Um, like, yeah, I was just in the dollar store in the neighborhood. <laughs> yeah. They had these crazy, like, clown wigs. Do you want this? You get a mullet Actually, wig? wait. No, I did buy a wig. I just remembered. I bought a wig. But I guess I was too cheap to buy, like, a high-quality wig. So every wig that I I was just like, oh, I don't know. At the end of the day, they're more yeah. uncomfortable on your head. Wigs are so itchy, they're dude. so uncomfortable. And I was yeah. like, I would ra- So I basically just wore, like, a little headscarf throughout yeah. the yeah. whole time. I but, went with my mom to the uh, to the wig. Uh, there's like a wig rental place. Yeah, it's the, called uh, uh, what's it called? It's called Wiggity Wigs <laughs> Wig Emporium in, on uh, in Bears Lake. No, it's in the hospital. Like there's a there's like a room. Are in you the serious? Chemo sure? on yeah, Wicked Wiggity Wigs. That's a real uh, thing. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, it sounds like something that would be in Bears Lake. Wicked Wiggity Wigs, Wig Emporium, and Bears um, Lake. But uh, it was it was so funny trying them on with her. They're actually really Johnson. there's some really high quality yeah, um, wigs that look we really good. And um, and I remember it was kind of it was kind of novel and fun. And I think brought my mom a bit of like sense of Thanks, wigs. Um, ease. Sorry, uh, I was just talking about the moment when my mom was uh, yeah, yeah, having yeah, a right. really emotionally yeah, difficult time during her. Uh, sorry, and, 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 yeah, sorry. And Taylor and I are over here talking about all the, all the other yeah. wig stores. So anyway, I was really impressed with the quality of them, and I think that that brought her a lot of comfort during that yeah. that time. And and like I I was getting her to try on like the most ridiculous ones that totally didn't suit her too. And like yeah. it was kind of like funny, a trip so. to Value Village. Yeah, yeah. It is kind of fun. I I liked having different ones to play around with, but I I didn't ever usually wear them that much. Your people can't see you right now, but you you don't have short or long hair. You have you have pretty short hair right yes. now, but you yeah. fucking rock it. Like oh, your hair thanks. is like I'm looking at your hair, going, "What's what's the product she's using?" Literally, I, I feel like Carlos is going to break up with me because he's like, "If you mention your hair to me one more time," because I'm like, "Do you think it's growing? Do you think it's growing?" I'm like, "Measure." I'm like, "Measure it, please." Do you? How do you feel about your hair right now? Because you wear it so well. Like oh, it's thanks. Yeah. I, also, I've I've only known you with this. That's hair, the other right? thing. So, Every time I meet someone new, they're like, "Oh, it looks like you know." I would never yeah. have known otherwise. But it but. also looks great. Like you have, you have, you're one of those people where in my mind I go, wow, that's great hair. 
Aww. Like you, like it, it's, I, it's been clocked that yeah. you have really good hair. So, do you, like, how do you feel about your hair it's now? Getting now to, the, I feel a little bit better now that the sides are getting long enough to be able to like put behind my ears, right? Um, because that, for whatever reason, to me, just feels like slightly more like I don't know, feminine, or feminine, or just more like myself. When it was a lot, sh- when it was like a like very short, you kind of are like, oh, I'm I'm rocking like a buzz cut kind of look. Mm-hmm. But then you go through a lot of awkward phases, and yeah, it's just yeah, yeah. like. And I'm still kind of going through them. But I don't feel too bad about it, to be honest. And when I look back at old pictures of myself with really long hair, I'm like, I don't know if that was working for me 100%. You know what I mean? Yeah, like, totally. really yeah. was weighing me down. But um, but I would love just like a bob. So I'm really holding out for that. Um, <laughs> did, when it started coming back, did it uh, – because I, I know a lot of people, their, their hair comes back mm-hmm. and it's like – Totally it's different. this totally different thing where they have like it's like all curls, but only in the back. Yeah, and on yeah. The sides. I was gonna say I don't comment on hair anymore after the episode with Oliver when I asked him if his which hair we did was in the this result very of room. chemotherapy, um, and he was like, "No, I didn't lose my hair. It's just like this." <laughs> <laughs> all right, <laughs> noted. Yeah, it did grow back. Um, so I don't know if you can tell right now because it depends on like humidity and whatnot. But the very ends of my hair are slightly wavier and curlier. Yeah, yeah. My hair used to be like whip straight, so. Right. It's funny because now the the newer parts that are growing are straight, but the very ends, they like I guess it still has like it was affected by chemo because sure, it's yeah, like yeah. The, the oldest growth, I guess. And so the ends are a little mm. wavy and the rest is growing back. No straight. difference in color or no, anything? No, it's pretty much it might be slightly lighter, but I think it's pretty I much. I want to get some chemo in the ends of my hair. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I know I've had people yeah. like Where do you get that red devil stuff? <laughs> just squirt it on my head. Um uh coming back to the port story, there was yeah. there's something to do with like like juice or some shit, like beet juice or something. It's but... not even that funny of a story. I don't know why I was mentioning that in my application, but yeah, basically, um, I it's actually a long story, so I'll try and make it really fast. But um, when You're thirty seconds, okay. <laughs> so when I got back from Hawaii, my oncologist was away for like a day or something, and a different doctor was covering for her, and he called me and was like, um, "Why are you getting this?" Uh, port like you shouldn't get a port basically like, trying to like t- talk me out of getting the port for whatever reason and then he made a few valid points and I started changing my mind I'm like oh maybe I shouldn't get a port like anyhow it's a very long story but basically um I decided I'm not going to get the port anymore and I kept waiting to get in touch with my uh oncologist to confirm with her that like that's a good plan but I couldn't get a hold of her and then so the day of the surgery came and I was like well me and my sister were like let's just go down to the hospital and say like hey I'm not going to do this surgery like I hadn't called and I was waiting to like the last minute Mm. and so that day I'm like I'm not getting surgery today so I drank I went I got like a pint of like beet juice for whatever reason and um because I didn't follow like the diet restrictions or anything before that and then (laughs) when I went to the hospital and I was like oh yeah I want to I'm not going to go through with the surgery they were like okay, no, maybe you should come and talk to one of the doctors. Like, they don't want to just, like, turn people away who are like, nah, never mind. Um, And then they talked me back into getting the port. And um, luckily, I hadn't eaten any actual solid food in, like, an hour or two. Um, Right, because, like, they want you coming in sort of fasted. Yeah, exactly. If you're going in for any sort of, like, surgery or whatever. Yeah, and I didn't know anything about the surgery either. Like, the doctor came in and he was like, so I'm going to put a needle through your neck. And I was like, whoa. (laughs) What the fuck? I was like through 
my neck. And he was like, is that going to be a problem? And I was like, (laughs) yeah, dude, it's going to be a problem. Why don't you put it in my arm like a normal person? And I was literally like, I guess not. Like, I guess this is where I'm at. Like, Like, he's just like, all right, it starts on this side and I push it and then it will come out the other side. And then someone walks in and goes, oh, no, we found him. He's in here. And they're also just like, put him in a straight jacket. He's like, "Ah, I almost got her. You're also like, can I just. Uh, like I, I mean, I'm I have a phobia of needles, and I kind of just need to di- digest that information for a yeah. moment. Like, yeah. is there a problem? Yeah. <laughs> what a and he was prick. like, he was like, it's going to be brilliant. It's going to be brilliant. Oh, he was British. I think oh, so. Wow. He was something. That's why <laughs> one of those, one of those people. Um, Brits. They love, they love poking people with needles in the neck. Above the port, like they enter a catheter through, like up here. Oh, so like, oh, yeah. I, like you, can see the, you can see the. Yeah, so there's neck. like tears. <laughs> oh no, just <laughs> 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 lines in the body. Just yes, yeah, make it's me not feel fun. Weird. But uh, then after the surgery, um, and I was semi-conscious throughout the surgery, and they just kept being like, "Hey, wake up!" <laughs> uh, I took Ativan, but that was a, and they did like local anesthetic. But um, afterwards, uh, like I went home that night and I went to sleep, and the next morning I woke up. And I went to pee and my pee was like red from the beet juice, <laughs> but I didn't. Right. And I was like, oh, dear God, because I knew they had put like a catheter or a needle through my See, vein. I thought you were having like internal bleeding yeah, or something? Yeah, I was, I, I like, was It's certain... bleeding from my neck down into my bladder and out of my urethra. <laughs> That's how the body works. Yeah. But yeah, I was like certain that I was dying and I completely freaked out. And then I remembered the beet juice and I was like on the phone to the nurse's yeah. hotline and everything. And they were like, oh. They're like, how much beet juice did you drink today? And you were like, oh. A quart yeah. of it, and they were like, <laughs> "Oh!" Then I feel like so many people have those stories. Like my sister, when she was a kid, ate a full jar of beets without my parents knowing, and like she was like two. And then she, you know, I think like you still shit yourself when you're two, right? I don't know. Anyway, yeah, she shit, and you know, my parents were like looking at her shit because she was young, <laughs> and they were like, "Oh my god, Natasha's like Natasha shit her insides out." And they took her to the hospital, and they were like, uh, "This could be bad." Uh, uh, what, uh, you know, like, what is she eating today? And they're like, we don't know. And then the doctors were like, I don't know. I don't you know how to figure know. it out. But <laughs> yeah, you should know. You should always know. They what just your looked at her arm and her arm was dyed purple from the... Like, yeah, she's she just, hand just purple. Yeah, that fucking purple stain around her mouth. We were those. We were that family. I think... Um, I was walking around with spaghetti stains on the corners of my lips and she was just the beat girl. <laughs> I think... Uh, weirdos from Newfoundland living in Lower Sackville. I think uh, muffin and beets are two things that you're not supposed to put in your mouth according to the... Chocolate commercial, <laughs> yeah, that's right. Yeah, uh, yeah. right. Um, so you you're you're on the other side now of treatment, yes, ish. I mean, you, of, not really. Actually, not, I don't know. Not, why I said yes. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Like, yes. Yeah, and I'm like, like <laughs> no. And then as I said that, I was like, wait, I'm pointing at your port, and I'm going, so you're done, All right? Done. <laughs> Where are you in this in the span of like? Treatment? Yeah. So um, part of. So my cancer was HER2 positive, which is accounts for about like 20% of breast cancers. Are HER2? HER2 HER2 positive. It means that your tumor tested positive for the HER2 protein. Okay, sure. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Of course. Um, Yeah, yeah, yeah. Cool, cool. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And it actually, that's the reason it grew so fast. It's a very aggressive type of breast cancer. Um, And so they, uh, brain fart. (laughs) Actually, I knew this was going to happen too. I have chemo brain, like hardcore. And sometimes I I just completely forget what I'm talking about. But that's a her two protein. Yes. My my mom used to, or was she, even still kind of <clears throat> where she just gets like totally forgetful yeah, of things. Yeah, it's the worst. 
Um, so yeah, HER2 positive. Uh, and so it used to be the worst or one of the worst uh, breast cancer diagnoses that diagnoses that you could get like until about 15 or 20 years ago. And they discovered a drug called Herceptin or Trastuzumab. And basically now we made those words up. <laughs> like spe- spoop a juice <laughs> and uh, bloop, bloop, bloop. and um, yeah, so they uh, and now it's considered one of like the high, like the most treatable type of breast cancer. So even though it does. Grow oh, you got really, the good cancer. I mean, <laughs> debatable, but yeah. Yeah. Uh, but in a, a way, no, but honestly, there. like in a way, I am grateful in a way. Maybe sure. someone's listening yeah. to this and they're like, you should not be grateful for having her too positive because, yeah. Um, it that There's, one is more likely yeah. to metastasize. Mm. I know, I know, Jerry, that you said that you're you're joking, and but like just to like, just to echo that though, it's like like all cancer sucks. Yeah, and yeah. I know that. Yeah. I know that. Um, not to keep bringing this back to my mom's experience, but like my mom felt so much guilt, um, around the fact that she had cancer the same time that our friend Brandon had cancer, and he's this like 21 year old guy at the time, and he has this basically this terminal diagnosis, and. And my mom is in her sixties and she's, she was going to be okay. And she's in Mm -hmm. remission now. And, and, and I think that she, she gave herself a hard time that, um, you know, she had the quote unquote good type of cancer, but like the, uh, and I know that you kind of alluded to it a little bit in the beginning, like, like, even though the treatment is really hard, like, mm. like the mental health side of it and dealing with it even after your finished treatment is like, you know, yeah, probably even more challenging. Yeah. And it's something that like most people don't know about. So everyone's or like, don't oh, think about. Yeah, yeah exactly. Yeah. yeah. Also, I just remember there's one like huge thing that I never really explained. Um, so after my oncologist said, oh, so you are going to be a cancer patient for the rest of your life. She followed it up with, however, <laughs> you're what's considered oligometastatic. And basically it means that although it has metastasized to another part of the body, it has only gone to one area and in a very small amount. So I had like two small, just two tiny little spots on my sternum. Yeah, little bleep bloop. Yeah, yeah. (laughs) bleep bloop. Um, And I didn't have very many lymph nodes affected either. So like uh, I had like maybe one or two lymph nodes affected and some people have like 10 lymph nodes affected. Mm -hmm. So she was like, you have a very minimal amount of disease in your body. Like your tumor's like average, like medium size, I guess. Anyhow. um, Do they, they, um, like one of the big things we haven't talked about which is a consideration or something that probably comes to mind when you're diagnosed with breast cancer is like, Hey, am I going to lose my, am I going to lose my breasts or will I have to have a mastectomy? Um, is that the case with breast cancer like all the time or is that not? No, it's super, everyone is so, um, different and it all depends on like what type you have and how far it's spread and whatnot. Um, basically for mine, because I was HER2 positive and it's so responsive to targeted therapy, the Herceptin and Progetta, um, it basically, they could no longer feel my tumor about halfway through or like as soon as I started Herceptin, which was about halfway through my chemo, the tumor literally just like melted away. It was completely gone. And so I did about five months of chemo and then I did a partial mastectomy. So a lumpectomy and, uh, they didn't think that I needed a mastectomy and they were saying that some like a lot of the newer research has shown that women who get mastectomies don't necessarily live longer or it doesn't like it's it's very specific to certain women so I can't speak for everyone but Mm -hmm. my team didn't think that it was necessary um and so 
when they did the lumpectomy, they removed the area of where the tumor was, like the tumor bed, and then they did they removed seven lymph nodes, and all of it came back cancer free. There was not a single cancer cell where Whoa. the tumor was, and like all I had done was um, was chemo and targeted therapy, and I did that first. And some women will do surgery first and chemo after, so it's all very dependent. Mm-hmm. But yeah. um, so that kind of brings me to the whole oligometastatic thing. Was um, she? My oncologist, who is amazing um, and was so optimistic and like on my side from the beginning, was like, I don't view you as a stage four cancer patient. Like there is a very, very high chance that you are going to make it through this and have a good prognosis. And especially when I did have a they call it a pathologically complete response. So no cancer left. Um, They said she was like, you're going to have to find like a, she can't give me a, what she calls a money back guarantee. (laughs) But, Mm -hmm. um, she was like, you know, most likely you're going to have to like find a new oncologist when I retire in 20 years. Like she seems to really think, I don't know. So where are you at now? Yeah. So I'm still doing targeted therapy and that's the kind of tricky thing because it's, um, it's so effective that they don't know necessarily when, to say like, oh, you're fine. You can come off it now because there's just no research right now to, sure. to be able to say that. But the plan is to stay on it, Herceptin and Progetta, for five years. Um, so three and a half more years than what I've already been on. And mine was, was also estrogen positive. So I'm also on a lot of like medication that keeps me in chemically induced menopause. <laughs> um, oh, so that's so fun. Yeah, it's great. Cool. <laughs> um, so I have to keep that up for a, it's like hormone therapy for a while. Um, Wait, chemically induced menopause, menopause? Like you're having like early menopause? And it's like medically she, induced. She's in menopause so, right yes. now. So, so what does that mean for like the possibility of like having kids in the future? Or yeah, like that's that? a whole other. Gosh, I feel like we're going to run out of time. Like too much to talk about. Um, but that's basically... Okay. Um, I, because I'm younger, um, my team was telling me that there is like a higher chance that my period will come back and that I'll be able to have children possibly. Um, however, because I'm still, they want me to stay on this medically induced menopause thing for a while. So I can't, I haven't given my body the chance to see if my period will come back, Mm. but I was taking a drug throughout chemo that like protects your ovaries. So it like shuts them down and like stops the chemo from getting to them. Um, we really are over cryogenics in the future. Yes, right. I know. Yeah, yeah, I know. Yeah, yeah. So um, my Crazy. doctor does support me in the future if I want to pause treatment. I would obviously have to stop a lot of my meds to do that. So mm. it's a risk and that's a whole other can of worms. But um, do you it, want to have kids? I do. Yeah. <laughs> so it sucks. Yeah. And yeah, it's a whole I I always thought that if I had ever been diagnosed with breast cancer, because you hear of other women, I'd be like, oh, I would totally freeze my eggs and I would totally get like a double mastectomy because like I don't need them, cut them off kind of thing. But when you're actually the one going through it, there's a lot of other factors that kind of go through through it. And I actually chose not to freeze my eggs um, because any estrogen in my body was causing the cancer to grow. And in order to freeze your eggs, you have to inject yourself with estrogen. And now that being said, women do do this and it's a very personal decision. And I recently heard that there are some drugs that you can take to like mitigate that risk. Um, but for whatever reason to me, it just didn't feel like the right decision. And Mm -hmm. I was like, you know what? Like I, they were saying like, you're young, like it's, you're probably going to be able to get pregnant. I was like, yeah, I think I will. Maybe I, maybe I'm more of an optimist, like I said. Yeah. Than but, I and also it's just like, choose your battles. It's yeah. like right, yeah, exactly. right now, like maybe, maybe it just doesn't make sense for you right now to, yeah. to worry about that. And you can cross that bridge 
later also, when we like get through the cancer, you know, exactly, like, yeah. and it's your body and it's your choice and you can do what the fuck you want yeah, with it yeah, and exactly. you don't have to justify that to anybody else either. Yeah. But you're justifying it to Brian right now because he's asking. So Brian's actually, you know. Brian, so Brian, do you, do you feel okay with that answer? <laughs> yeah. Well, Is I, this okay with you? I need to think you? about it for a little bit. Yeah. <laughs> um, uh, I get, you know, we are coming to time, yeah. but I, I guess... Before I ask you the, the the question that we usually ask our guests, mm-hmm. um, how how are how are you doing mentally? Like, how's your mental health? Yeah, so it's definitely been a long journey, and sometimes I'm up and sometimes I'm down. Um, but I have an amazing support network. Uh, like all my friends, family have been so amazing, so supportive. And Carlos has literally been like my rock. I don't think I would be here if I didn't have him. Um, so I I think relatively I'm doing pretty good. (laughs) Like I I returned to work. I'm at, I'm doing a gradual return. So I'm at three days a week right now, trying to get back up to full time. Um, and I'm seeing a personal trainers and working out and trying to, you know, live that healthy lifestyle, (laughs) um, which I was already doing before. So it's not too difficult for me to try and up it a little more, but, um, yeah, it's definitely a whole other, like, I don't know ball game having this long-term yeah. fear because anytime you get a headache or anytime you have like an ache or you're like the mm-hmm. cancer is spreading you know what yeah, I mean yeah. um so but I guess the upside as well of being technically stage four is that I am followed more closely than a lot of women who are stage one two and three they of course they get like mammograms and whatnot but I am getting ct scans right now every six months and um so I like to think that if it were to come back they'll catch it very quickly and um mm-hmm. uh, and yeah i guess the other big thing too is like um s- being stage four from the start isn't is technically better than it coming back later yeah anyhow but yeah i'm doing okay <laughs> yeah. what would you say out of all of this so far mm-hmm. uh what would you say your your cancer diagnosis what's the biggest thing that it's taken away from you i would say just my ability to kind of have like live a carefree life and mm. have freedom to like I don't know plan in the future and not have to worry about this like big heavy thing in front of me um and yeah it's like you have to plan around treatment and you're not sure what your future is going to look like but at the end of the day I think for a lot of people it's kind of an illusion that we have any control over the future anyways so mm-hmm. um yeah it's but I would say just having kind of like a bigger issue on my plate in the future going going forward but as your next question (laughs) what's the biggest what's the biggest thing that it's given you at the same time it has given me so much and I feel like if I were to sum it up in like one thing it would be it's given me perspective um just in my daily life like moving forward in the world um I feel like I'm able to uh kind of to see my current life problems for what they are a little bit better. That being said, I'm not, it's not like, Oh, everything doesn't matter now because it's not cancer. Like work stress doesn't matter. And this Mm. doesn't, because those things still do affect me, but it's kind of just like, I feel like I'm just on a journey now trying to recalibrate what I like how I respond to stress and how mm. like what matters in life. Um, like what's really worth worth your energy. Yeah, and, uh, yeah. yeah. And like just what matters basically. Like yeah. I feel like I always yeah. knew we all know what matters in life, but until you're actually like forced to face it, 
it really changes like how you live on a day. Changes basis. the flavor of it. <laughs> yes, exactly. Yeah. So it gets cloudy. Yeah. It gets cloudy. Fuck it. It's important to go to Hawaii. Right? Exactly. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Uh, well, Sarah, this has been this has been really great. I'm mm-hmm. glad that we were able to to fit this in while we were here in beautiful Vancouver. Me too. And, and I just have to say, like, really quickly, that I was listening to you guys since before I got sick, and it meant so much to me when I was going through that diagnosis. That I kind of remembered, like, oh yeah, there's this whole community of people out there who are going through it because you feel like the only person in the world, mm. and like get like choked up singing about it but it's it's true it's like oh there's so many people out there and you're not the only one going through it and so just thank you for this podcast yeah and it's no amazing. problem yeah. well i thought you were gonna say uh, i was listening to you guys before i got sick and then i got sick and i was like yeah <laughs> fucking excuse to get on the show <laughs> worth it like, doc you sure it's not stage four i know yeah. you're saying stage two but like maybe bump it up stage four <laughs> yeah. like oh are you applying for sick boy like yeah i am yeah, yeah, yeah. all right cool tell him it's stage four <laughs> i mean that too that too but yeah <laughs> um well it was Street it was a, an absolute pleasure to have you mm-hmm. and um and you know on behalf of uh, the three of us and, and all of our listeners uh thank Thank you. Thank you. And thank you all so much for listening. We hope you enjoyed it. Uh, We will be back next week, as we always are, with a wonderful conversation. (laughs) And in the meantime, go to Apple Podcasts and leave a rating and review and hit the subscribe button because that helps us a lot. And I say it every week and I mean it every week, even though it sounds like I'm saying it just because I'm reading off a script. So there we go. Not at all. We never read scripts. I don't know how to read. Ever. Yeah. (laughs) Jeremy's completely illiterate. Um, He has a theater degree. Who knows how that works? And uh, <laughs> if you want to help us out on Patreon, you can go to patreon.com slash sickboy. Um, again, we're still here in Vancouver, and we are here on uh, with the help of our patrons and bring you wonderful conversations. So patreon.com slash sickboy. And thanks to Donovan, the CPAP Morgan, for the amazing sound design on the show. Yeah, Donovan, thanks for making it sound. Uh, thanks for <laughs> chucking in, uh, because this actually this week's episode was brought to you by... Uh, Wicket Wiggity Wig Wigs in <laughs> Bears Lake. Uh, thanks for uh, putting in the jingle for Wicket Wiggity Wicked Wiggity Wig Wigs in Burnside. Uh, the full jingle that they have they have produced and they have sent to us uh, for the show. So, Jonathan, if you can put that that jingle for that company here now, that way because that is what we are required to do to get the money. From Wicked Wiggity Wigs. We don't get paid by Wicked Wiggity Wigs without the jingle. Yeah, so Donovan, uh, you can put the, the the jingle in, the full jingle. And there's also, Donovan, there are there are lyrics to the jingle, right? So don't um, just make sure, make sure, you, you, got ju- the, make sure yeah. you got the right file. You don't just want the, the instrumental. Not, not just the instrumental. I want the full fucking jingle with the song and their phone number and, like, you know, the whole ad, okay? And you can put it here. Fucking chance. That's all you get. Fuck that. That was great. Thank you so much uh, for that. Wickedy, wiggity, wiggity, wigs um, in Burnside. And I just want to echo the point. Make sure you are supporting us on Patreon so we can pay Donovan more money. <laughs> <laughs> uh, that is it for this week. I'm Brian. I'm Taylor. I'm Jeremy. And I'm Sarah. And this is Sick Boy.
For more CBC Podcasts, go to cbc.ca slash podcasts.